Hey y'all, welcome to King of the Ride podcast. Ted King here, your host today and presumably always. Our guest today is Lauren D. Crescenzo. For one, let's step off the bike. She's an epidemiologist. She wrapped up her master's in public health and then set off to work with the CDC, coincidentally, right as the pandemic started. So that's a fascinating detail unto itself. Anyone familiar with cycling, of course, knows Lauren as the professional cyclist. Let's call it the MVP, if such an award existed, of the past two years of gravel riding, chalking up wins at Unbound, Mid-South, SBT, Gravel Worlds. And let's step onto the road, the tarmac, the tour of the Gila, UCI Pro Road Race, and second place at the U.S. National Championships. She's a threat to win pretty much every race she enters and announced that she's going to take place in the Lifetime Grand Prix this season, from which she did not participate in 2022. So she's taking this time to fine-tune her off-road skills, as we will talk about today, because her story is one of comeback. She suffered a traumatic brain injury in 2016, and as anyone familiar with TBI knows, the path to recovery, so to speak, is is nebulous. It's winding. It's, uh, It's maybe without a formal destination. So all these reasons and more, I was excited to have this conversation with Lauren. She's she's made some fun new changes into the coming year. So with 2023 kicking off, the season about to kick off, I thought it was a great time to catch up with her. I'm looking forward to this conversation today, and I know that you will too. Folks, if you've listened to this podcast, you of course know that I start every day with a serving of AG1 by Athletic Greens. I use it every single day because it simplifies my life in terms of supplements and vitamins. It gives me the reinsurance that I'm getting the necessary vitamins, minerals, and so forth from a whole food source. It has adaptogens, probiotics, micronutrients, and so forth, all of which I rely on to start every day. Bonus, it tastes great. Right now, it is time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutrition, and Athletic Greens is going to help. They're going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D, and five free travel packs of the AG1 that I talk about and love with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash tedking. Once again, athleticgreens.com slash tedking. Take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. That's it. That's all. Folks, please enjoy this conversation with Lauren D. Crescenzo. we doing good what's up good oh. to see you again um how are you doing i saw you crashed yeah um i'm doing i'm doing pretty well all things considered um i had promised a dear friend who who drove me home from the hospital that i wouldn't go ahead and ride my bike today and of course an hour ago i just got off my bike so <laughs> me too same. Yeah. I have a, a problem. Yeah. Kind of <laughs> you know the drill. I mean, I was completely convinced I wouldn't ride. Um, this was here. This was back home in Vermont. Uh, I went to the ER here yesterday because, well, yeah, let's backtrack. I crashed in Tucson, which is a place that you've spent quite a bit of time. At the 24 hours of Pueblo. Yeah, exactly. Um, Crash First, on... were there any were there any cacti involved? Thank goodness, no. Um, good. Okay, good. I know you hear you hear horror <laughs> stories and you ride laughs and you completely understand why because that lechoya is lethal. I mean, oh, the the jumping cactus, yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. Me, my teammate got stuck it, when we were just in Tucson doing some mountain biking. Yeah. She got like a hundred. Holly got like a hundred thorns oh, in no. her arm and. <laughs> Then, then our coach like was getting well out and I was just staying away. But like every time I got close, it was just like, jump at me. Yeah. Well, it was crazy. And it like the intuitive reaction is to pull for it and try to reach for it. But then because it's so doubly pronged, like, right. Then you get it from where you were originally stuck and then it's on your hands and it's on your other hands and you're just, yeah. It gives you a really good reason to stay on the trail. Yes. (laughs) Yes. So conveniently I crashed on the trail. Uh, I didn't, and I had seen so much cactus that I was convinced that I was just going to have a nice, fun, safe race. 
But late at night, uh, yeah, I came off my bike, crashed pretty badly, was psyched that I, I stood up and I was like, wow, okay, I probably broke some ribs, but my, my collarbones are intact. I feel, I feel normal. It's always a great sign. <laughs> um, was able to fly home the next day and then waking up back home in Vermont, I was feeling not very well. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go to the, see my doctor and I ended up in the ER and, and found out that I have a collapsed lung. So, oh, yeah. Wow. And, and collapsed lung is a, it's an interesting term. I have a very, very small deflation, um, which my understanding means there is air between your chest cavity and your lungs. So there's air that's taking up room that your lung would like to occupy. But because I'm in that, quote, young, fit, and healthy category, it is going to re, reinflate over time and over a short period of time. So nothing invasive needed. They didn't need to stick a hose in me and reinflate me. Uh, You're going to reinflate yourself. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is, this is um, active recovery, as you will. Perfect, if you will. Yeah. yeah. Uh, active recovery. So, yeah, you were in Tucson not too long ago. Yeah, so just got back like two weeks ago. Yeah, um, and I mean, among other things, congratulations on taking a Q, uh, yeah, QOM on Mount Lemmon. So yeah, that was crazy. That was yeah, a very sought after QOM, and I was uh, you know, I was just testing the gravel setup. So it turns out the gravel bikes really fast. That that is awesome. Yeah, you took the QOM going up Mount Lemmon, which has got to be one of the one of the most ridden pure climbs in America. Um, how, tell me about the ride. Like how long were you preparing for it? How long did you think you might go after it knowing that you had a gravel bike? What was the, what was the plan there? Well, actually I didn't decide, I was down at camp at the cinch cycling camp with all of like the cinch athletes, not like my teammates, but just like the whole like community of cinch people. And I, they were all going to go to Mount Lemon the next day at like 11 and I was like, well, I kind of want to go early and do it by myself. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought of it uh, like the day before, actually, like, cause I was feeling good, just did a workout. And I was like, you know what? I think I could take Mount Lemon tomorrow. Like the legs are feeling good. I think I, I think I kind of want to like, and I wanted to go through like the whole, like, okay, like the whole race kind of simulation, like sure. waking up in the morning, doing the pancakes, mm -hmm. doing all like doing all the things that you do and being really stressed out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's kind of nice to have it a short period of time of build up as opposed to like weeks on end being like, okay, this is the hellbent goal of the year. Um, oh, no, no. I did not want to be thinking about that for any longer than like 12 hours. <laughs> okay. Very nice. And then... Yeah. But then when I got out there, then when I got out there, I mean, we came up with like a plan the night before, like with the, the power and the cadence and like all the checkpoints and like the time gaps and like where I need to be. And yeah, we, I stuck to the power, yep. which was good. I like kept the power like at thresholds at the bottom, mm -hmm. which was good because, you know, Mount Lemon is 21 miles long with 5,000 feet of climbing yeah. and it starts out at a lower elevation and then you get up to like almost. 8,000 feet maybe sure. over yeah so like sticking to the power <laughs> um saying like in my zones was like very important and I kept reminding myself about the beginning because I was like oh I could go way harder yeah. I was like you'll be paying the price later Lauren sure. if you, uh, do anything more than this <laughs> so. did you did you have the goal of staying consistent the entire way or did you eventually have the target of a lower power output as you lost oxygen going higher Lower, definitely lower as I got higher. Okay. Like at the bottom, I was at thresh. I was I was at threshold mm -hmm. up until um, Merino Basin. Uh, I don't know if anyone even sure. how many people know. It's a it's a well known location for people who've done Mount Lemon. Okay. Uh, I did so I did threshold for about like the first twenty five minutes, and then from there I went down maybe like ten watts, and then the next checkpoint like windy point like another 10 watts and then at the top i was just trying to like hang on for dear life yeah so, <laughs> but um i mean i wasn't like the power wasn't always steady i wasn't just like putting out like threshold watts anytime uh -huh. like i'd get to 
like a steeper section, I would do more power and I'd kind of like surf it, if mm-hmm. you will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd like try to like gain speed, like higher cadence, higher power going into like a flatter or even a downhill section. Yep. So yeah, I was like varying based off that. And then always taking the shortest line, <laughs> but in a, could, safe, in a safe way. Yeah. <laughs> never cross, I never crossed the yellow line, but I always took the fastest line through every corner. Very wise. Which, yeah, there's, I mean, over 21 miles, you got a lot of distance to save that way. How yeah, about, I, um, I mean, the, the time is, let's call it roughly hour and a half. Mm-hmm. As you set out with a goal, was the goal to effectively put out threshold power all the way to the top, factoring in altitude? Or did you look at the other rider's splits and try to calculate that into the equation? Mm, like, were you racing right. yourself, or were you like racing the time the time board? I was. I was racing myself. I was. I was more racing myself, and like what I could do. Like, I know what like my body is capable of doing for like like my power and my cadence and everything. I, I like I know what I can do, and also on Mount Lemon, it, it's always it's always kind of up to the winds. Yeah. The wind is a huge, has like a huge factor. Cause like at the bottom, I was like, just like, I was exactly like on pace with the previous time, despite putting out a lot of power. Um, yeah, I was like on pace. And I was like, I don't know if I can keep this up anymore. Right. This is crazy. <laughs> but then, you know, when you change directions then you get like, you get a little bit more of a tailwind. And then when you change again, you get a headwind and mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of, it's also up to the wind gods on Mount Lemon. <laughs> sure. It's such an interesting, um, I don't even know what to say, like th- threshold event because, you know, threshold FTP, it's such a, it's often a theoretical thing is what people often say, what you can do for an hour or it's what you can do for 20 minutes. But how often do you actually go out and do it for an hour plus? So I mean, man, I imagine it's like a head game as much as anything. Yeah, I mean, only on Mount Lemon do you discover what your true threshold is. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that is exactly the point. Um, okay, one step back. How did how did Team Camp go? How did that go in early fall? That was great. Yeah, that was fun. Besides, well, the Mount Lemon thing was kind of like the pinnacle of my like training experience. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but I mean, we were down there um, a little bit, like probably like a week and a half or two weeks in what was. A really good part about it, like I was saying earlier, was we went mountain biking most most days because I'm also like trying to fast track this mountain bike thing uh-huh. <laughs> as seen on Velo News. Uh-huh. I'm uh, really trying to teach myself how to mountain bike in a few months. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Um, <laughs> and then sort of one step further, probably three steps further back than that. If you look back at your this past two-year hybrid road gravel calendar... Or almost better yet, looking back since about 2018, would you ever have guessed that you would be at a gravel team camp in early February of any year? No, no, definitely. <laughs> no, no. Okay, okay. First of all, good. in 2018, gravel was like just starting and like there weren't teams or anything. I was in grad school yep. and just like trying to get my like what I thought was my real life started. Sure. Like, you know, getting that nine to five riding on the weekends, doing the indoor trainer. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, I did not imagine that I would be at a gravel camp down in Tucson. <laughs> yeah, uh, it speaks to the evolution of cycling that's always going on. Um, so hitting on hitting on some of these highlights over the past two years, and please fill in anything of importance that I'm missing. You've won Unbound. You were Ooh. a runner-up <laughs> at Unbound. You won Mid-South. You won SBT, uh, I think back-to-back. You won Gravel Worlds. That's on the gravel terrain. You also won Tour of the Gila, which is a UCI stage race on the road. And you got like a random, like just just the Tour of the Gila, whatever. And not totally random because you also got a a second place at uh, silver medal at U.S. Road Nationals. So it's a good, totally random. It's a good, it's a good mix up of events. So looking at looking that that Palmares, any particular one of those stand out as superlative? Mm, I mean, a lot of them. I definitely unbounds. Is he, how many times have you won unbound? I've won it twice. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, so as, yeah, Unbound's like a big deal. Yeah, I think that's that was like the biggest win of all the wins, just because it kind of enabled me to like be at team camp down in February in Tucson and not in the office. So like so many opportunities opened up like after winning Unbound, just like I could come back and be a pro cyclist. Like I kind of always dreamed of before like before grad school. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I um, think I heard it in a conversation they had with Ian Boswell that someone told you in the soon aftermath of winning unbound, like your life is about to change. And it's- yeah. And I was, uh, yeah. On the way to the podium ceremony, um, my friend, Ike, um, he said, he's like, Warren, your life's just about totally about to change. I was like, no, I'm going, I'm, I'm teleworking on Monday yeah. back to CDC. Yeah, nothing's going to change. This is just another win. And little did I know my entire, I was, was submitting my virtual resignation like a month later. And you had worked what? Like literally the, the evening before or the day before the race? Yeah. Oh, I took the Friday off. Cause I wanted okay. to like, you know, it took Friday off, but every day before <laughs> that I was working eight, at least eight hours, maybe more. Cause it was also uh, at CDC during the pandemic. Oh my gosh. That's right. What was, <laughs> yeah. I mean, looking laterally, what, what was your role at the CDC? What were you doing there? Oh, well, I was actually, um, I was actually on the transportation safety team, okay. um, which was cool. I was an epidemiologist. Um, and, during COVID, however, I volunteered for the COVID task force. So I was like doing, just doing, doing the COVID things during the pandemic, which that was also like another, like my academic dream for myself, like years and years ago. I was like, I want to be an epidemiologist one day during, during a global pandemic or something. <laughs> well, yeah. Whoever would have guessed. Um, yeah, because like, like you see like the movies, like Contagion, right? and, you know, The Walking Dead, the TV show. <laughs> so therefore, with someone who has a much better perspective on pandemics than the mass audience pre-pandemic, how much of this ever would have been expected? As, as sort of crude a question as that is, like would... I think that to, to Joe audience member, myself included, I would say, okay, this isn't going to happen. That's something for the movies. As someone who has an inside knowledge, is this something that we should expect every 10, 50, 100 years? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So just get ready, world. Okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, looking back at like the 1918 flu, the same thing happened. Millions of people died. And that was what is now influenza. And it's become like endemic in our society, uh, kind of like COVID's becoming more like the flu now. So it's kind of like the natural evolution of a disease. It like starts out more deadly. And then eventually it just becomes another disease, another flu for us. Okay. Here we are. Very good answer. Um, Here we are. <laughs> how about, so staying with, with academics, walk me through your upbringing. Um, what is childhood like? What is school like? What sports are you playing? Where do you eventually get Oh, wow. Into- let's get into this. What is my childhood like? Yeah, yeah let's we're get going, into it. We're going full chronology. <laughs> All right. Let's say uh, I like it. <laughs> um, let's see. I was born in Staten Island, New York, to a big Italian family. No kidding. Who, with a propensity for hearty Italian dishes and meatballs and there's really no athletes in my family at all. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we moved to Colorado when I was seven years old. And, you know, I lost my heavy New York accent I had as a child. <laughs> it was it was very it was a very thick accent. Uh, um, and then growing up, I grew up in Broomfield, Colorado. Um, which is like right outside of Boulder. Um, I ran cross country and track and field. I played basketball. I did like inline hockey. I played baseball, football. I just like dabbled in all the sports, but I ended up like really getting into cross country and running. Um, and like as a typical story, you know, the get hurt running and then you can't run anymore. <laughs> um, I mean, I started riding my bicycle in high school um, at Broomfield high. And I, um, then I went to Emory university in Atlanta, Georgia, where 
I'm actually sitting right now, long story, how I got back to Atlanta. But uh, yeah, I went to Emory. I started racing when I was at Emory, um, studying anthropology, uh, epidemiology, global health, um, with like my eyes set on like, I want to work at CDC one day. Um, but I also wanted to be a pro cyclist one day. So I just couldn't decide <laughs> like what's next. Were you uh, doing the, the collegiate cycling thing? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. That's, oh, that's like right. The, you were a very decorated collegiate athlete. If I'm very decorated collegiate cyclist. Hey, Wikipedia yeah. will tell you everything. Wikipedia. I think my friend updated my collegiate results. <laughs> <laughs> It's embarrassing. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I raced collegiate. I want uh, I was in grad school, and then I graduated from Emory. I focused on cycling for like a few years. After that, I moved back to Colorado. lived in Boulder. Um, lived in Boulder, Brookfield, like near my family. Mm-hmm. And then I was I had a really bad crash in 2016 at a stage race out in California. That's right. Um, yeah, traumatic brain in- like a severe traumatic brain injury. I was like helicoptered to um, the ICU, where I spent three weeks, and then I was airlifted to a rehabilitation center at Craig Hospital in Colorado. And I would say that's probably one of the most defining moments of my life would be that traumatic brain injury, and just the recovery from that because the recovery took probably two years, like to get back to normal. Um, I was also, I went to graduate school during that recovery because I thought that cycling was over for me. Um, that had no, it wasn't really a sustainable future. Yeah. So I just focused on, uh, focused on studying epidemiology. I got my master's degree at university of Colorado. I moved back in with my family. Um, yeah, I got the master's, uh, started dating my husband <laughs> and because we met oh we met at collegiate we met at collegiate nationals <laughs> no he wasn't he so he wasn't even at your school no he was at he was at emory okay okay that's where right. i where i went to school yeah, yeah. i thought like i think it'd be a whole other podcast the evolution of <laughs> how that how yeah. that came back together but um yeah then I started dating him I then I was like oh I know I'm gonna move to Atlanta and get my dream job at CDC well also you know and my boyfriend lives in Atlanta goes to Emory so I came came back to Atlanta got my dream job at CDC it was like and six months later the pandemic started I was like, oh, cool. Good timing. <laughs> Got that epi degree. Good timing. This has been um, a very impressive fast track summary of like, especially the past seven years. I mean, that was a, that was a terrific summary of academia. <laughs> I'm trying to like, all right, hit all the highlights. Right, like, what, right. what is your life like? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that was, that was an in- intentional open-ended question and you nailed it. And I want to put a pin in a lot of those things. Thank you for being candid about about all of it. Um, okay, so let's talk about a Velo News article, for example. Uh, you're going after the Lifetime Grand Prix this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is year two. You did not take part in it last year, so you got to observe from the sidelines and, and win a handful of races in the meantime. I know that you're paying attention to more of the rowdier off-road events. What does that preparation look like from a literal standpoint? Yeah, I did not participate last year because I did not feel ready last year to be participating in any mountain bike races of any types, Mm -hmm. just given my roadie background and never having done a mountain bike race ever before. Um, And also like this, the fear I experienced from like, I am very afraid of crashing again, given given my past of my history of crashing and Mm -hmm. TBI. So like I, yeah, I watched from the sidelines and just wanted to, wanted to observe and prepare myself because I figured eventually I'd be signing up for a lifetime Grand Prix. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. And I mean, curiously, we, we, no one knew the success it would have. It could have succeeded. It could have failed. Um, now, of course, lifetime is a major, major player in the gravel world and off-road space. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's just as well to have stood on the sideline 
not least of which because of uh, uh, let's see how this goes uh, exactly I mean nothing to lose but I mean you can certainly learn a lot so yeah what have you done is it a matter of just riding off-road more often is it a matter of riding the mountain bike more often or what what all are you doing I mean there, yeah there's definitely that um I've also worked a lot like with my team we've done like a series of mountain bike boot camps if you will <laughs> where I just yeah I've like gone out to Colorado a few times uh yeah and even in, like in Tucson and like I also ride with a GoPro <laughs> and my coach who was your former teammate he analyzes my like you know, just like my form, because he actually used to be a like a World Cup mountain bike racer before road. So got some like knowledge about like the actual like the skills and everything. So I've been, yeah, mountain biking most most days, <laughs> kind of doing like the two days most days, and yeah, the camps are like very very intense. Uh, which is good because I I need to like fast track an entire childhood of like you know being in an Italian family that likes meatballs into like a few months. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so yeah, you hit on it. I I think my first ever collegiate national championships was mountain bike championships in. Uh, Angel Fire, New Mexico, and if I'm not mistaken, your coach Tom Danielson won that race. So, connecting some dots. Um, what? Obviously, there's the element of the unknown on the mountain bike. What do you look back on and call it the past two years and the past half dozen or more that has worked? What has not worked? What changes have you made um, going into the coming year? And it could be as simple as I'm just going to mountain bike more. Because everything else seems to be working well. <laughs> everything else seems to be the fitness is fitness is good. Yeah. <laughs> the fitness is yeah, fitness is. I feel like that's like one of my like my real strengths is just the fitness. Um, for like the mountain biking stuff, I'm not just like mountain biking more because when I go out and just go mountain biking by myself and I'm not doing like the right skills or like the right technique, then I'm just like practicing the wrong thing over and over and over. So yeah, like it's been like really helpful for me to like go to, you know, mountain bike camp mm -hmm. where I like actually practice like moving the bike and like, oh, I've been practicing my starts even on like the gravel bike yeah. and like, you know, going from like an unclipped stop to like a bajillion watts. In Practicing my starts, uh, practicing like the cornering and like just moving the whole bike because I feel like on the road you can really get away with a lot of like things that you cannot ever get away with on the mountain bike and in, in, like in terms of technique. Yeah. So I think in the process of like practicing all these like mountain bike skills, I'm actually getting better on the road bike and the gravel bike. Believable. Yeah. There's a lot more. Um. In so many words, there's a lot more skidding on a mountain bike, and skidding on a road bike doesn't work as well. So, yeah, it's the skill set. The skill set moves towards the road better than road towards mountain. Um, and the way you're describing it reminds me of a hockey coach who once said, "Practice does not make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect." So, yeah, exactly. don't beat a routine into your system that is incorrect. Which is that's fantastic. Um, you can't just go out on the trail and practice the wrong thing over and over. You yeah, really get bingo. You really get to the root of the, sure. of the, the like really focused on the fundamentals. Mm -hmm. Um. So yeah, given that you are a professional cyclist and and not having to juggle life with the CDC and and call it real world nine to five. When you look at the blank slate of a calendar, what stands out to you? Like, how do you pick events? Um, because I've, I've heard you talk about having some some big-time road aspirations, too, into the future. Well, you heard it here first. Uh, this year, I think I'm, I am going to be focusing 100% on gravel. Oh, no kidding. Mm -hmm. Voila. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
Well, I'm I'm going to go to Road Nats because it's pretty close to my house down here in Atlanta, nice. uh, up in Knoxville. It's only a three-hour drive, so of course I'm going to do it because I'll always have like a, a roadie heart. Mm-hmm. But I'll be focusing more on just gravel and mountain biking because it's hard. I can't do road, gravel, uh, mountain biking, cycle. It's too many bikes. I'm just going <laughs> to, I'm going to be like primarily focused. Like my schedule will be more like, like the whole lifetime Grand Prix, all the big gravel races and maybe a few road races here and there. Right I, on. <laughs> um, but how, like, it won't be like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be going to Gila. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like you said, there's a lot of bikes to maintain alone, let alone the, the sanity of your mechanic. Um, oh, yeah, that was quite the quite the experience for everyone last year. Yeah. So I think a lot of people have an opinion about the UCI um, in the same conversation as gravel. And very few of those people raced the UCI Gravel World Championships. So maybe first specifically how did the gravel world championships go and then a follow-up to that would be more overarching what what are your opinions about uci and gravel in the first place right um yes so back in october i did participate in the first gravel uci world championships um which i thought was really cool it was my first world championships at like a uci level one and it was actually, it, it was a lot different. It was so different than any gravel race I'd done in the U.S., just like in terms of just like the terrain and where they like, just the whole race was like a much, much different. Because like the roads, the gravel roads in the U.S. are much different than the gravel, the gravel roads and bike paths over in Vincenza in Italy. So, <laughs> I mean, that was also a, like I ended up finishing 20th. Um, it wasn't my like best, I, I, it wasn't like my best physical performance. I was like, kind of like, it, it was just a lot <laughs> like going over there and being like in a new environment with like new roads. And it was a big reason why I decided to do the lifetime series this year, because I want to feel, um, more like a complete cyclist. I can like show up, I can like do mountain bike races, gravel races. I can show up in Italy and do fine because I can adapt to any terrain. So yeah, that's a big reason I'm doing the lifetime series is to get ready for the UCI world championships. <laughs> Have they and announced where it is next year? It's in the same place on oh, different no different road. Yeah. They're doing a different course, but it should, I think it'll be in Venetu again. Okay. Curious. It was beautiful. It's, yeah. it's really nice over there. Yeah, another excuse to go back to Italy. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Like any reason to go to Italy. Right. <laughs> and uh, I know a lot of people um, weren't in favor of the UCI and gravel being in the same sentence, but honestly, I thought it was, I thought the organization was fantastic. <laughs> I like uh, the road closures were amazing. Like people directing, like, directing traffic. Um, everything was like very like closed off which was like very different from a lot of these gravel races where it's like ride at your own risk. Um, so I really liked that part of the UCI race is that, yeah. that is one thing they do do well is shut the roads down and make sure people are safe to mm-hmm. race. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How about stuff like the, the length of the race, you know, here in North America, we have uh, the same distance, male, female, uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, the the women's race, maybe not obviously, the women's race at the World Championships was a shorter course. It wasn't yeah. a mixed field. How? What are your opinions on that? How well was that received by the rest of the peloton? What do you? What are your thoughts right. there? Um, I did like that we had our own separate start. I did not want to start like the World Championships like with all the you know, Vanderpool or whatever Van yeah. Art. <laughs> I didn't want to. Yeah, I don't want to start with those guys. I just like. I did like the separate start and as we see now in the lifetime series, like we are getting more of our own starts, mm-hmm. which I really like. Cause mm-hmm. I, for me personally, I feel like that's just like an unnecessary danger sure. for me to be like in a huge, like just for, there's a lot of, there's, there's a lot of crashes. 
um, when you do the mass mass starts. Yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, the the distance, um, I, I kind of feel like the UCI is just kind of like slow to catch on. I feel like they like they've been making they make changes a little bit more slowly than the rest of the cycling world. Uh-huh. Um, I was disappointed that it wasn't the same length, but I was happy that there was like a world championships. Yep. So that part was good, but I feel like the UCI just needs to. It was like their first the first. Uh, their first race at worlds and right yeah a little behind <laughs> which it it's it i agree they are often behind it's too bad that as they set out in a new precedent or sorry in a new venture they couldn't set the precedent immediately mm. and who knows where that rule came from uh is it behind closed doors in the uci or or you know did they pick it out of a hat or flip a coin and say yes, we'll do the same distance or no, we'll do a different distance. I think I heard Sarah Sturm in an interview say that, maybe it was Kat Nash, I forget who, but the, the her point was the woman's Peloton really wasn't upset by it in large because it was a largely a European Peloton and they're just accustomed to shorter distances. Um, so, yeah. What you, most road races over there are. <laughs> yeah, precisely. I mean, what, we're talking about an N of one. I think you've done one international race or one European race. What do you see as the, the similarities and differences uh, between North American and European gravel? The gravel. The gravel, the gravel itself? Yeah, the gravel itself is just so different. Like, yeah. used to doing these races, like, in the Midwest, in the U.S., and it's, like, wide-open roads for miles and miles and miles, and not that many turns, just, you know, putting out the power and kind of zoning out. Uh-huh. But in Europe, you're, you're turning like every five seconds. Uh-huh. <laughs> so you need to be good at turning. And then you're like, one second, you're on a bike path. Then the next second, you're going up a cobbled climb. And then the next second, you're on a descending down a multi-use path. There's just like, there's, it's just like a very different style of racing um from the gravel that i'm like accustomed to here sure but that's a big yeah i mean that's a big reason that you can do mountain biking now <laughs> How about, i wonder i mean yeah from a geographic standpoint from a terra firma standpoint obviously in north america we are an enormous uh space and we have a lot of midwest and we have a lot of midwest gravel there are still a lot of dynamic races that keep you right on the edge of your seat and, and on the tip of your saddle because they're <laughs> dynamic here. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I wonder. Um, I I wonder wh- if, if there's a, an obvious place to to a well-traveled European who would be like, oh yes, what you are talking about in North American gravel can be found here. Like, is it in Austria or is it in Central France or, or Western I Russia? Know. I mean. I don't I'm, know, yeah, I'm, I'm certainly I'm really interested to see what will happen as as the UCI Gravel World Championships continues. Um, I would love to have a, a World Championships in the U.S. Sure, like you know, gravel started, gravel did start here. Yeah, that'd be great. I would love that. Yep. Yeah, the my, Euros, my on my wide open Kansas roads. <laughs> my sort of take on it is that. The officials at the UCI understood that America has a pretty independent stance on gravel. We like to claim it. It's ours. We've done it. We've done it right. Gosh darn it. And mm-hmm. and they see that the rest of the world, largely beginning in Europe, um, has a affinity and interest and gravitation. And mag- they're, we're, they're trying to get into gravel. So basically, they see an untapped market there. And therefore, it made the most sense from a uh, financial standpoint to host it in Europe to just continue to draw this European base that that doesn't look with armed assistance at the UCI. Like the UCI, just it's, it's a governing body, and they're perfectly fine, and mm-hmm. they'll just go in that direction. Who the heck knows? I'm I'm curious to see where it will go, and I'm most certainly no. interested in it. No, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I think yeah, just. Just the roads, just the road. I, I keep coming back to that. The roads are just so different. I'm just like thinking, like 
historically because like the roads over in Europe have been were developed like hundreds and hundreds of years ago and the yeah. US is like more of a new we're like more of a newer place with like some wide open country roads and yeah it's just it's just different uh-huh. well and even I remember hearing you talk about the whole shot which sounds very cyclocrossy in a mm-hmm. dynamic hour long race but no this is this is hours of racing at the at gravel world championships but yeah straight off the the line it was dynamic racing i used to talk about the first hour of unbound being the most boring hour of bike riding there is and this is also in an age when yeah i mean you didn't want to show your cards early and you after the first hour you still have nine plus hours of racing whereas now it's yeah it's getting a little bit more it's pretty spicy in the first hour i'd say now yes. unbalanced yes yeah um, oh, oh, yeah it's it's fascinating we all have our crystal balls but they're all quite foggy and nebulous and no one really knows what it's going to be yeah, yeah yeah i mean the gravel world championships started out on like a 10 percent gravel climb and it was that's another reason why i'm practicing my stars this off season <laughs> that is that is very wise Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. What was the total distance? Remind me. I think it was ish somewhere around ninety miles. Wait, it's not a, whatever kilometers that is. Sure. I don't know. I'm an American. Call it one <laughs> one fifty. What? Yeah. Do you? Man, it, it is. The question that I want to ask is: What would be the optimal distance? at the gravel world championships do you think they deserve a 200 mile race or that would just be stupid on a course yeah if you were creating it right now or would you just plant it right in kansas and say it's 200 miles yeah let's just turn unbound into the uh, let's just turn unbound into the world championships yeah which is makes that's what i absolutely love about the race gravel worlds in nebraska you know it was such a effrontery to the name in a in a time in which you would laugh about talking, uh, bringing the UCI into gravel, and then lo and behold, here they are. I think the UCI wanted them to change their name or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's goofy. <laughs> Come on, folks, we'll all get along. Here, here we are. Yeah. So, with your agreement, I'd be curious to talk about uh, your TBI a little bit. Yeah. Um, my as a as I think you know, my dad had a stroke 22 years ago, so I'm familiar with a uh, brain injured community. Um, how? Yeah. I remember your dad because he started. Was it the Krempel? Yeah, he's a he's a member of the Krempel Center, which is an organization in New Hampshire that that benefits adults with brain injury. Um, so it's brain injured folks of all kinds. I mean, whether uh, it's all acquired brain injury, um, trauma, stroke, tumor, um, and that those effects. And those effects are, I think, what's so interesting. It's It, it runs the full gamut from mm-hmm. people you would quote unquote say are, are normal to people who are, are very debilitated. Um, I know early on in, in your recovery, um, you ended up talking with and going for a bike ride with Timmy Duggan, um, who I think would be in that same category of very normal. I mean, Timmy had a, a horrific TBI racing tour of Georgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, brain yeah. injury is such a mysterious and misunderstood thing, especially from people who have no relation to it. It's just like, oh, you're normal. You're back to back to normal. It's an invisible injury. Yeah, and it's. I think it's chronic. Um, as a, a if, if one has too many concussions, for example, I I want to say as simple as what is your experience with TBI, but that seems crazily vague, and and we could probably talk <laughs> I was for, like, where do you want me to start? Right, we could talk for six days about that. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Let's go with what is your first memory after your crash? Oh, these are good questions. Yeah. So, um, actually, so I crashed um, on April 2nd. Was it April 2nd? April 2nd, 2016. And at like the end of a road race down in California. 
Um, yeah, I flipped over, landed on my head, I helicoptered away, all the all those things. And um, I woke up at Craig Rehabilitation Center one day. I opened my eyes and I was like, huh, this seems like a hotel room. Huh. This isn't my hotel room. What are all this medical equipment here? Oh, look, mom and dad are here. Huh. <laughs> this must have been a really bad crash. It'll never forget. It was April. I, then I looked at the clock and I was like, hey, April 23rd. Uh, what happened the last, I wonder what happened the last three weeks. Huh. Could yeah. you look back and know that you had missed that time or? Yeah, I had known that like, it wasn't April 20th. Like I, I was like, huh. I had, I knew that my like previously, like it was April 2nd and I was like, huh, where did all the time go? Which is crazy though, because like I see all these pictures and videos of myself, like at the rehab center and in the ICU, just like talking to people in I don't know, just like having conversations and, you know, walking around with like a neck brace and everything. But like all of that has been completely like it's completely gone. And they actually call it post-traumatic amnesia when you have like no memories from like the days following. And I don't even I don't have a memory of like even the race itself. But like I think that's like your body's way of like protecting itself because who knows if I'd be racing right now if I could remember any of that. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> how about uh, if the crash was on April 2nd, how long were you uh, in a coma or out, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. No, I was I was placed into a, it was a medically induced coma. It was supposed to be three days, but then it ended up being six days. I guess I just... Which was very like scary for my family. Yeah. Like, oh, it's not waking up. Oh, okay. Yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was I was in a six day coma. Okay. And so beginning, call it seven days, April 9th, give or take. I mean, that's at the point at which you, the amnesia, I suppose, is beginning. Like you are. Yeah, back I mean, to I life, clearly talking... remember. I didn't remember anything from the coma. Yeah. Obviously. Sure. Yeah, but sure. I, yeah, I mean, I think the, the the amnesia started even before the crash. Like, I don't even remember starting the race. I maybe remember like going to the gas station that morning, getting yeah. a Red Bull. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I don't. Then you like convolute your memories um, when you like look at receipts or anything. And then you like create fake memories in your head. So who knows which of those are real? If I was just like looking at a receipt of what I had purchased that morning. But the mind and the brain is a very, very interesting, an interesting thing to study. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so not misunderstood, but there's just, it's so out of the reaches of human intelligence. Yeah. Uh, yeah there's so much to be learned about the brain. We really don't understand. Yeah. So you call it graduate from Craig. You, you get back home. Um, <laughs> What does the beginning of the rest of your life look like? Um, how do you well, decide how to yeah. do anything at that point? Well, I quit cycling for about three weeks. <laughs> I didn't ride for three whole weeks when I got back from the hospital. I was like, this is done, over. I can't do this anymore. This is crazy. It's too dangerous. But then, you know, it has like a certain pull on you. And then... Then I got Zwift. Then I got a trainer. Then I was riding. Then I was in Watopia, and and um yeah. Then yeah, your former teammate, your your friend Timmy Dugan reached out. Um, he reached out before just like to check on me because we were friends and he had a TBI. But he reached out and he just wanted to go for a ride. So I was like, oh, okay. He he took me on my first outdoor ride following. Uh, the TBI. And, you know, we talked about, you know, what the doctors told me at Craig, which was ride bike riding is dangerous. She's like, you should not ride outside anymore. You're going to end up back here. But then I probably shouldn't say that about doctors. But, and then, um, but then Timmy said, like, he, he, like, they said similar things to him, like about the dangers of the sport and the dangers of crashing again. But he was able to use cycling as like a way to measure his progress and his recovery, like to see how far he like how much he'd recovered since the crash. And 
he was able after his crash, he he won uh, pro road nationals and yeah, was selected to go to the London Olympics in 2012. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he had a pretty good recovery from his mm-hmm. um, his TBI. So that I took that as a um, a good sign for my future. Yeah. I was like, I'm like, well, he he was able to do that, so I could at least start riding outside again, probably. Which is, I mean, that, yeah, he's he's a terrific model for that. I remember having conversations with him, and admittedly, I really only knew him post TBI, but he de- he would describe being in physical therapy with the task of standing on one leg, reciting the alphabet backwards while juggling. So pretty high level. They didn't make me do that. High level stuff in terms of occupational and physical therapy, but still being told we don't know what your future looks like. And and again, I think to to an untrained listener that sounds crazy. And obviously, you can do anything. But have you been able to put a grasp on the things that are like the intangibles, the confusion with dates or names or 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 i mean i don't know if you suffered with for, with depression or like how about the things that aren't literal that you can't put a finger on right um yeah, i mean i would say in my recovery the most significant part for me was the depression yeah the intangible the intangible depression and everyone's like why lauren you're fine everything's great you you're out of the hospital you're recovered you're all good and i'm like i'm not good yeah <laughs> So, uh, yeah, I mean, just the, yeah, the depression that comes with a traumatic brain injury, like, like that's a very common symptom. Um, yeah, of that, um, but the other intangibles, like, you know, dates, names, I think the biggest help for me was I started studying for the GRE and I like took GRE and started graduate school. Um, at the first semester I was, I was considered disabled and they gave me like extra time to do tests, which, you know, was helpful. Like as I was recovering, I had like as much time as I needed to do tests. Um, But I mean, eventually, like I didn't need it the next semester and I was able to like, like make slow progress towards just like getting my mind back in where it had previously been. (laughs) Right, right. And a lot of the times too, I think I was in denial because I was like, I didn't want it to be true. Mm-hmm. So like my, you know, like my parents would maybe like point something out like, oh, you got this wrong. And like, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. I'm fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of stubborn if you haven't noticed on the bike. <laughs> uh, yeah. It is funny that it's a sport that rewards hard headedness and stubbornness and repetitivity. and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So that kind of tra- that kind of like goes to all areas of my life is my hardheadedness. Yeah. So how about yeah taking that transition, talking about TBI, this recovery, so on and so forth. Given a year that you had in 2021, 2022, where you have enjoyed a, an absurd amount of success, how do you take it when things don't go well? Do you? Is it hard? Is it? Do you learn from it? Do you brush it off? How? How does? How does Lauren deal with adversity? Mm. Well, um, I mean, I think I said in my last article, to a certain degree, I do feel like I'm suffering uh, from the imposter syndrome where, you know, I, I've been doing this, but I have, I've done bike races for a while now, but I've like had so much success in the last two years that it seems like, like, this is, this is unreal. Like how, like, how does this just keep, how does this keep happening to me? This is crazy. (laughs) Someone's going to find me out eventually. (laughs) They're going to find out that you're really, really good at bike riding. (laughs) Yeah. But sometimes, you know, you just feel like you're kind of like, it doesn't feel real sometimes because I wouldn't have imagined this like at the hospital, at the rehab center in Colorado a few years ago, like just winning all these races, I never thought I'd even ride a bike again. So you know, here I am just doing, doing all the things and suffering some imposter syndrome. Um, I mean, to brush off the adversity, I mean, I've dealt with a lot of like actual real life adversity, like at the hospital. So then it just is like, then the little things like I don't want a bike race. Oh, well, at least I'm not 
at least I'm not in the rehab center. At least I'm not trying to like fight for my life back. Um, so I mean, everything kind of like that kind of puts everything into a totally different perspective. And, you know, I've been, I've got a lot of, like, I have a lot of support from my team. Like they are working with me through some of these fears that I experienced because of the TBI. And they're all, all about like helping me overcome these like things I have, all, all these, all these obstacles, all these like intangibles I'm trying to overcome and become a mountain biker. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is terrific perspective. Uh, and I think, yeah, one can get through a great deal of life with a fair bit of perspective. So that's, that is awesome. Um, I'm like, at least I'm not working at the desk job at CDC right yeah. now. Sweet. That's Didn't correct. hit my power numbers today. That's fine. Uh-huh. Time to go out <laughs> for a second bike ride today. <laughs> yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Okay. Um, well, in a, in an effort not to take up all of your time, we can wrap up with three traditional questions. Ooh, yeah, let's do it. Favorite place to ride a bike, the number one place that you would like to ride that you've never ridden, and fictitious, nonfiction, real, otherwise, with whom would you like to go for a bike ride? Man, I should have thought about this before. <laughs> I should have it thought is, about this. It is... <laughs> These are tough questions to answer on the spot, which I've realized. Um, but then you'll be riding along tomorrow and be like, oh, that person would be an amazing person. Holy head right now. Yeah. We'll, we'll <laughs> Change all my answers. <laughs> uh, place. Uh, favorite place to ride a bike. The favorite place to ride a bike. Um, I do love riding in. I do love riding in Boulder. I just really, I, I just like it. It's like where I'm from, basically where I'm from, about 10 miles away from my dad's house where I grew up. So just a nice little warm up over to Boulder. Mm-hmm. Perfect answer. <laughs> I don't want to be too generic, but Boulder is pretty nice. I've asked this question a lot and Boulder is is not an often answer. So that is a perfect answer. Okay, great. Yeah, Boulder is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, good climbs, good gravel, a little bit of everything. Exactly. Um, and the next one was... Where would you like to ride that you've never ridden? Anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the entire world. I've ridden in a lot of places. <laughs> I've ridden in Rwanda. Whoa. I've ridden in... Yeah, I went to this Rwanda one time. <laughs> I, I've gone there. I've gone to New Zealand. I've gone to Australia. Uh, uh, El Salvador. Uh, all over Europe. Um, That's a pretty good swath. I haven't ridden in, I'm being so generic. I haven't ridden in Spain yet. Perfect answer. Mallorca. I'm going Mallorca. Haven't been there yet. And two of my best friends are in Mallorca right now, and I'm extraordinarily jealous. So there you go. That's yeah, a great answer. Uh, there, <laughs> there's a there's like a, another cinch camp happening in Mallorca, but I don't. I think it kind of conflicts with the the race schedule. But I would love to go to Mallorca just yeah. even for just for a bike camp. It is funny that yeah, I'm I'm probably in a similar boat where you get invitations to go to things, and already you're like, how about 2024 mm-hmm. or 2025? Because I know yeah, the next year is completely booked. <laughs> All right, and with whom would you like to go for a bike ride? Oh, this is, do they have to be a cyclist? Don't have to be a cyclist at all. Don't have to be real. You could say Mickey Mouse. Oh, wow. Well, this option, the opportunities are endless. Uh, endless. <laughs> like literally endless. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, I'm going to think of all the answers tomorrow when I'm we'll do it. We'll do a call in 2.0. You can call. I'm going to call you tomorrow about this because, uh-huh. ah. Uh, uh, this is hmm. my dad he's never ridden a bike in his life <laughs> perfect perfect answer it would just be hilarious to see him even try to ride a bike yeah is he is he good at eating those meatballs oh yeah yeah, yeah. the last time we rode together was to burger king yeah when i was uh i think i was nine years old uh-huh. and i i dropped him on the way to burger nice. king so and then he's like, I'm never riding with her again. That is hilarious. <laughs> hey Lauren, let's go ride to Burger King. That's awesome. 
See you later, Dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I need my Whopper Junior now. Yeah, exactly. So I guess I've been like this for a long time, dropping yeah. my dad at the age of nine. I love it. So yeah, I'd like to go on a ride with my dad again. Excellent. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> well, cool. Um, I appreciate the time. I appreciate the candidacy, the candid, how candid you were. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to open up there. And I, I thank you very much, Lauren. That's been awesome. No, thank you so much. This is, yeah, this is really great. And look forward to next race. Are you going to be at Mid-South? <sighs> I have intentions of being at Mid-South. I had, I had intentions of doing the run and the ride, and I've actually been running. I, I ran oh, up wow. to 20 miles, and I was like, dude, this is going to be super fun. I'm not so confident right now on my run since standing up is difficult, but I, I think I will be there regardless. So, fingers crossed. Okay. okay, cool. I will hopefully see you down in Oklahoma. Perfect. Shortly. I love it. We'll be seeing you soon. All right. Thank you so much. Sounds good. Thanks.